The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. It's my job to coordinate all of the missions trips. And so the trip you see, these guys going to play basketball and all that kind of stuff, that was, that was, I got to do that. I got to help send these guys. <laughs> and Tim. Tim did it. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, we have all kinds of... <laughs> Oh, man. Anyway, uh, it's a fun place to work, as you can tell. Uh, I hope you guys feel welcome here. If this is your first time, I just want to say uh, we're glad you're here. And please, if you, uh, if you don't know anybody, come say hi. We'd love to meet you. And there's a lot of great people around here, a lot of great opportunities to get involved and, and hang out for the summer. So uh, thank you for coming. Excited you're here. Uh, it, this is week three of the Summer Inn, and uh, that means we're on our final week of the Sermon on the Mount series that we've been going through. And uh, if you've been here, you know we've, we've been approaching the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' probably most famous sermon, um, through the lens of asking this question, what does Jesus have to say? Or what would Jesus say? Um, if you can imagine, he's calling you, and he's, he's got something to tell you. And week one, we looked at it uh, as, as the lens of, what would he say about me? What do we say about us as individuals? And um, week two, Annika talked to us about, what would he have to say about our community? and how we relate to the people around us. And this week, we're going to take a look at the last two chapters of the, of the sermon. And um, when I was trying to figure out how to, how to sum it up, what would Jesus have to say about X, uh, really the best thing I could think of was life. Uh, <laughs> there's so much stuff in these last two chapters that I, I decided to call tonight's uh, sermon, What Would Jesus Say About Life? Um, so, sounds like I'm going to be, you know, dropping some mad wisdom on you. Uh, it's not the case. <laughs> I, I just couldn't think of what else to say about it. Um, there's, there's so much stuff in here. Um, but anyway, I am excited to, to, to be up here and sharing with you all. Uh, if you've not been, uh, we, we're doing this series a little bit more conversational. And what that means is uh, at certain points throughout the sermon, I'm going to give you some time to reflect on some questions that I have for you. And you can reflect individually if you prefer or you can talk it out with someone next to you. Um, if you need something to write with and on, there's some stuff on the back table there with pens and paper. And if you want to reflect more individually, please feel free. But um, I'll give you some, some time to reflect, and I'll tell you, hey, think about this question. Just be aware, OK? So uh, we have a lot of stuff to talk about tonight. I'm not really going to like give it too much fluff at the beginning. Um, but I do want to open it up just by praying and asking God to, to be with me tonight and be with us. So would you all pray with me? God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to be here and for another beautiful day in Seattle. Uh, we ask that you would meet us here tonight, that we would know your presence. Uh, God, I pray that whatever I say tonight would be something you would approve of and that uh, the ears, um, God, that are hearing it would receive it and that it would make sense how it needs to make sense. Uh, we thank you for this space. In the name we pray. Amen. Okay, so like I said, we're going we're gonna to cover a lot of ground, and I'm not really going to dive into any particular verse or passage, because that would take all night, and um, I really encourage all of you to look at this stuff on your own, because there is so many good things in this, in this text that I, I wish I could go into all of it, but I can't. Um, so I want to I just start by kind of giving you the main point of the talk up front, uh, because one, I don't know how to build up to it, like a really skilled speaker. And two, uh, I don't think it really is going to make much of a difference if you know it right away, because 
uh, it's not, that's not enough. And you'll, get, you'll see what I'm talking about in a minute. But the main point tonight, and this is, this is, this is what I'm going to get at, what Jesus is telling us about life tonight um, is that we, we need to remember that God is God and that we are not and that that's a good thing. I'll say it one more time. We need to remember that God is God and that we are not and that's actually a good thing. And, of course, you know, maybe you're hearing that for the first time and you're going, wow, that's so profound. It's okay if you're not. Um, <laughs> it's fine. You're not going to offend me. Uh, there's, there's this level of, when I hear this, right, even as I'm saying it, I'm kind of going, yeah, great. So I know I'm not God. That's good. What, is that? what does that mean? Like, wh- how does that affect me? What does that mean for my life? What does that mean for tonight? What does that mean for how I relate to my mom, my dad, my friends? What does it mean for how, I, how I'm to be in this world, Right? We know we're not God, but what does that mean for how we act? Um, before we address that, I think it's good to address the, the first question that comes to my mind, which is, why is this a good thing? Why is it good that I am not God? Why is it good that Tim is not God? Why is it good that any of us are not God? Right? Why is it good? And when I say not God, I also mean, why is it good that we are not in control? I love to be in control. I'll just admit it. I mean, I think it's kind of a common element, right? It's a common denominator amongst all humans. One of the ways that I know uh, I struggle with control is with driving. Uh, I'm definitely a backseat driver, uh, especially if I'm riding with someone who I feel really comfortable with. Like, I will definitely be like, hey, whoa, slow down. Whoa, speed up. Hey, what are you doing falling so close? Whoa, you should turn right there. Oh, you missed the turn. Whoa, you're going to slow down? Like, it's, it's terrible. I love to be in control of driving. Um, and so I reflect on that for a second. I mean, I'm sure that there's areas in your life that you're like, no, I love to be in control of that. And if, if you really can't think of one, uh, I'm sure that someone around you could point out the ways in which you're a control freak. <laughs> just, just ask a good friend. So why is this a good thing? Why is it better for God to be in control? Um, I think the main, the main thing I have to say about this, what I draw from this text tonight, is that um, when God is in control and when we, when we allow him to be God, uh, we experience freedom. And what I mean by that is when you or I are the ones in control, we're, we are incapable of, of bringing the level of freedom that God has already brought for us. And I see that throughout this text. And this is, I'm going to move through some big chunks of, of Scripture here in a few minutes. Um, so f- try to follow along if you can. But um, the first, there's three things that I really see Jesus telling us that we are free from when we let God be God. When we let God be in control. And the first thing is that we're free from having to prove ourselves. He talks about a lot of the, these acts of righteousness in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, hey, be sure not to do these things in public so that people will recognize you. He says, do these things in secret because that's what God honors. And to me, this is an invitation to be free of, free of having to, to show how great we are. We don't need to prove ourselves. God has already proved us for us, if that makes sense. Jesus Christ is God's way of saying, you're enough. You don't need to do anything else. So it's, first and foremost, we're able to be free from having to prove ourselves. And, and what this looks like, what this means for us, is right here in the text. It says, practice your stuff, your acts of righteousness, your spiritual disciplines. He lists giving to the needy, praying and fasting is three of them. There's more. Practice these things in secret. Do them in such a way that you won't receive any recognition whatsoever. 
This is how you live into this, this freedom of being outside of needing to prove yourself. Okay? Second thing, the need to, we're free from the need to secure ourselves. All right? And what this is in, this is 6, 19 through 34. This is Jesus addressing materialism. He says, do not store up treasures for yourself on earth, but store up your treasures in heaven. And he follows it up with a big thing about don't worry. Don't worry about what's going to happen, what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear. Right? These material things that we tend to concern ourselves with and store up resources in order to get. Um, I, I know, I mean, I like stuff. I mean, it's, it's not about that. I think everyone in this room uh, would say, yeah, you need, to have, uh, you need to have resources, right? And I don't think this is Jesus saying, you know, don't have stuff. It's not that you can't enjoy this, this stuff. More, I think, what he's saying here tonight is don't find your security in those things. Don't store them up and look to them and go, okay, I still have that much in my bank account. I'm okay. Or don't look at your house and go, okay, if nothing else, I at least have this really great house with all this stuff in it. Right? It's not that we can't have these things. It's more about your security. So he's saying you're free from having to secure yourself. God has taken care of you. He always has. He always will. All right? So you're free from that. Um, the third thing that I find freedom in, and sorry, I know we're moving through this fast, and we're going to kind of bring it back in in a minute. But uh, the third thing that he's offering us freedom from tonight is uh, the power struggle. And I, I say that generally because um, I think Jesus is, is aware that there's kind of always this struggle for position in our condition. Meaning, and he talks about it in, through the lens of judgment. He says, don't judge others because you too will be judged by the same measure. And he follows this up with the passage of ask, seek, and knock. Many of you have probably heard it. He follows this up with the line, hey, don't, you don't need to worry about that stuff. Just ask. And it, it took me a second to understand what, why this and how this relates to um, power. But I, I mentioned a guy a couple weeks ago. His name is Dallas Willard. He's a theologian. He, he writes really academic stuff. But the point that he made was that judgment is actually our way of trying to jostle for power. When I look at someone and I'm, and I'm judging them, I'm evaluating whether or not I'm better or worse. I'm in the room and I'm going, okay, I'm better than him, worse than her, better than her, worse than him. Okay, I know where I stand. I know who I can tell what to do and I know who I have to do, like who can tell me what to do. And that's kind of how he positions this, this thing of judgment, this tendency to judge. Is it's us looking for who am I above, who am I below. And I think what Jesus offers us here is freedom from having to do that. Because I think what we, what we think is, I need to know where I stand so I know, I know how I can get what I want. If I'm at the top of the chain, that means I can get whatever I want. Or if at least I'm at least here in the chain, I can get what I want. And he's telling you, look, you don't need to worry about that stuff. All you need to do is be willing to approach God and say, hey, I need this. And not that it's going to necessarily be given to you in that moment, but he's saying you need to trust that God knows what you need. He will take care of you in that moment. He talks about how, he's like, hey, you who, if your son, who of you, if your son asks for some bread, is going to give him a snake? Right? No one. It's going to do that. <laughs> it's, not a, it's kind of obvious, right? And he says, if you who are evil can give good gifts, how much more is your God in heaven able to give good gifts? He's saying, look, you don't need to be afraid to ask God. He can actually give you more than you can even imagine. All right? So we're free from having to 
uh, struggle for power, and that what that looks like for us is not being afraid to ask God and trust his response. Okay, so this is, this is my synopsis uh, of why this is good for us. Why is it good that we are not God and that we are not in control? So here's what I want. I want us to kind of think on this for a minute. Take some time, reflect amongst yourself or with a group. What, when was a time that you were glad that God was God, that God was in control, and that you were not, or someone else was not? Take a couple minutes. I'll bring us back. Okay, let's bring it back. Let's bring it back in. Wrap it up. That was a Chappelle Show reference. Nobody? All right. Okay. So we, we've, we've looked at, all right, God is God. If this, is the, this is what Jesus has to say about life. Remember that God is God. Remember he's in control and that you are not and that that's actually good for you, right? We, we know, okay, we have a basic idea at least of why that would be good for us to not be the ones in control. Uh, that still leaves us with a big question. And that, that question is simply, what does that mean then for my life? What am I supposed to do with that? with that knowledge, right? It's not simply enough to know that. It's a matter of actually living it. Well, uh, <laughs> when I look at this text, uh, the, next, the first thing that I see in terms of what does this mean for my life and what does this mean for what, what life will look like, uh, it, there's a little bit of a discouraging, but there's also, I mean, it's kind of encouraging in that it's brutally honest. Um, the first thing I, th- I see is that it means life's going to be very difficult. Um, Jesus talks about this in, in Matthew 7, 13 through 14, the narrow and the wide road. You guys maybe have heard this. I'll read it for you real quick. It's two verses. It says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Living like we believe that God is in control and allowing him to be the one at the helm is very difficult. Um, and I don't think that it's because God is, is trying to challenge us. He's not sitting there going, okay, now I'm going to make your life hell. Like, I gotcha. Um, I think it has more to do with the reality that you and I are not wired to let someone else be in control. I think it's our nature to want to be the one, be our own gods. That's why we do the things we do. That's why we store up treasures. That's why we seek the, the validation of the people around us. That's why we do what we do is because we're trying to, in a sense, in essence, be our own God. We're trying to be self-sufficient. That's, I think, what the world tells us we need to be in order to be successful. Um, and I think that's the reason why the road that leads to life, the road that uh, Jesus is referring to, the, the road that I think is the one that allows God to be in control, is a very difficult road to walk. It's very narrow, and very few people ever find it. Um, and, and I think Jesus follows this up with, with a kind of a warning. Um, he talks about, he says, watch out for false prophets, uh, for people who come um, along and tell you, hey, I know it's tough, but actually I've got this, I've got this kind of quick fix for you. Uh, it doesn't have to be that hard. He's saying, don't, don't fall for it. Um, the unfortunate truth is, there's no easy way around the fact that we, it's going to take a lot of practice. It's going to take a lot of trust for us to let God be the one in control. Um, 
And the way that, you know, I think when I hear stuff like that, when I hear talk of false prophets, right, I'm like, okay, well, how, how am I supposed to know who is true and who is false? Like, what, you know, okay, great. Um, Jesus gives us a little bit of a nugget here. He says, hey, uh, you'll, know, you'll know something is good or bad based on the fruit it bears. And to me, that's just kind of, he's saying the image of um, a good tree can only bear good fruit, and a bad tree can only bear bad fruit. If you look at something, if you're, if you're not sure, right, if, if what you're following after, who you're following after is, is a false prophet or not, look at, the, look at the fruit of their ministry. Look at the fruit, the results of what they're doing. Uh, is it the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I don't know the rest. Um, yeah, right? Is, it the, are they, is that the fruit? Or is it other stuff? Is it destruction? Is it anger? Is it lust? Is it malice? I think that's what he's talking about here. He's saying, look around. What do you see? If it's good fruit, the tree is good. If it's bad fruit, the tree is not good. So, here's a question for you. Is there an area of your life or your walk with God in which you are looking for a quick fix? Or is there a place in your life where you've, you've taken that easy road and what happened when you did? Take a few minutes to think about that. All right. Let's bring it back in one more time. So, kind of a hard place to be for now. Um, Acknowledging the fact that uh, when, when we're not God, when we allow ourselves to trust in God and not try to be our own God, that, that's, a, that's a hard road to walk. Um, and it sounds kind of scary. It sounds like, oh, well, maybe I don't want to do that then. Um, but I don't think that's the last word. And I want to I move on into the final, um, I guess, the closing statement of this sermon and it's the one that I think is the most important. I think there's a reason he ends on this note. And uh, let's read it really quick. I don't have it up there, but I'll read it out loud for you guys. This is Matthew seven twenty-four through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. I think the, the second thing that I see in this text about what, this, what <laughs> letting God be God means for our life is that um, there's, there's a level of expectation that we actually live like we believe that he is God. And Jesus' closing words are, if you hear these words and you actually live them, you're going to be able to stand. You're going to withstand the storms. You're like a wise man that built his house on the rock. When the storm came, you didn't, you didn't lose your house. And he says, if you don't put these words into practice, though, you're like a man who built his house on the sand, and when the storm came, your house fell over. I think in the midst of the difficulty of, of letting God be in control, there's a ton of assurance, not just in this closing remark, but in 
all through the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has repeatedly said, trust God, he will take care of you. Trust God, he will take care of you. And in this, he says it again. If you put these words into practice, um, you, will, you will be able to withstand the storms. Not, and he doesn't say, notice, he's not saying there's not going to be storms. He's not saying that things aren't going to go wrong. What he's saying is, you're going to be able to withstand it, because God will be there and he will support you. Um, I think if you look back through this text, there's, there's kind of this, this expectation, right, that what Jesus is talking to us, he's not, for example, chapter 6, starting in verse 1, he's talking about those acts of righteousness, those spiritual disciplines, praying, fasting, and giving. He doesn't say if you do these things. He says when you do these things. There's, there's a level here of, of do these things, practice these things, and with each one of them, there's a promise that, hey, it's going to be all right. And I should say that it, when he says to, to actually live these things, uh, don't think you have to get it right the first time. Don't think you have to get it right the tenth time or the hundredth time. He says, put these into practice. Um, we, we practice things because we're not perfect at them. If you were perfect, you wouldn't need to practice, right? I mean, that's kind of the simple logic of it. Um, it's not enough to simply know these things. We have to be able to live them. We have to be willing to trust them. We were, we were in a Bible study on Monday, and uh, Nicole Wimsat, uh, she's here tonight, she brought up a good question. We were talking about um, what, does it, what does it mean that God has forgiven us, that God has saved us? And she kind of asked the question, which I think I know I've asked, is how do I know what it feels like to be forgiven by God? How do I know that I am saved. And the group kind of talked about it for a couple of minutes, and we were like, oh, maybe this, maybe that. And I, th- I think the conclusion we arrived to, or at least the one that I arrived at, was the only way we know what it feels like to, to experience the forgiveness of God or to experience the security of his love is by living into it, by living like we are forgiven, by living like we are saved. That's the only way we're ever going to know what it feels like. It's not something that you can kind of sit there and look at and go, okay, it would feel good, it would feel this, it would feel that. You won't really know it. You won't really understand it until you're willing to step into it. I think that's what Jesus is getting at tonight in these closing words. He's saying, look, I just basically laid out for you my entire platform. (laughs) To put it in terms of, you know, imagine a presidential candidate, somebody getting up, he's saying, this is what I think about all this stuff. That's what Jesus has done in this sermon. He's gotten up and he said, look, this is what I think about you. This is what I think about your community. This is what I think about how you are to act in the community. This is what I think about how you're to act in the world, in your spiritual disciplines. He's laid it out for all of us. And he's saying, look, the most important thing for you to understand is to put this stuff into practice. Which, I'll admit, is kind of scary. (laughs) Um, If you're like me, the thing that holds you back most often from putting the stuff that Jesus says into practice is you have no idea what's going to happen when you do these things. What happens when I give and then all of a sudden I need that money and I don't have it anymore? Or what happens when I keep, you know, I don't know, when I, when I don't store up treasures, when I don't have everything stocked away, and all of a sudden there's a big accident and I, and I need all that stuff? You know, what, what, what's, what happens when? The fear of the unknown is what stops me from practicing this stuff. 
But I think Jesus has said over and over again, the only way you're going to know, the only way you get over that fear of the unknown is by stepping into it and finding out what does God have for me in this space. So here's my last uh, reflection question. And it's, you can do this again by yourself or in a group, but what's it going to take for, for you, for us, and this is me too, I'm not just saying you, to, to begin walking with Jesus, to begin practicing the words that he's saying to us. What's it going to take? Um, I would love it if we could all take some time to identify one thing that we are not practicing, that's something we can start doing in the next 24 hours, a way that we can start living into this with him and, and pick that thing and do it for a week, for a month, for a year, whatever you want to do. What's one thing you can begin walking with Jesus in? Take some time. All right. Let's close this up. Well, I hope, um, I don't know, I hope that we were able to kind of, I don't know, we moved through a lot of stuff tonight is the reality. We covered a lot of ground. Uh, like I said, I really encourage you to dive into this on your own a little bit. Take some time to read through it. Um, I know when I was preparing, I wanted to say so many things uh, and it, or just ask so many questions about this text, but we didn't have time to do that. And so um, if you have questions or if you want to talk about more, I encourage you to, to find someone or f- come join a Bible study or come talk to me or come talk to someone. Um, there's, there's a lot of cool stuff in here. But uh, here's, here's what I, I guess I want to say. My, my closing encouragement is just that um, I'm in this space too, and, and, and it's hard to imagine what it looks like in, 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 a real, in a practical way, what it looks like for me to let God be in control. There's so many. I feel like as the further you go in life, the harder it is to let go of control. Um, I'm only a few years out of college, and I'm already like, man, that's so scary because there's so many more things that I have to be responsible for now that it seems irresponsible for me to let go of those things. Um, but I, I, I guess I have to find hope in this reality that if I believe that this God, the one that we see revealed in Jesus Christ, is the God who's in control then that's a pretty good deal for me. Um, It's really easy, I think, for God to be this impersonal, unknown being that we just know a few things about, and we think, oh, okay, God is good, God loves me. God has a character, he has a personality, and it's revealed in here, and we can know that. We can know who he is if we're willing to look at the scripture. And so my encouragement is... um, what I've come to know of God is that for him to be in control is actually a really good thing. And I'm willing to trust that, uh, but I, I, I need to practice it. And it's not an easy, it's not an all-at-once thing. So take heart, know that as you do this stuff, as you try to live it out, um, the God you're trying to let be in control is a good God, and he cares about you. And it matters to him what happens to you. Let me pray really quick. God, thanks again for tonight. Thank you for this space and for these people. Thank you for the energy in this room. 
Lord, we, <laughs> we need your help. We, I hope we desire to let you be in control. I hope we desire to let you be God um, and to trust that that's actually a lot better for all of us um, than any other situation or arrangement. Uh, be with us as we take steps towards letting you be in control. Um, show us what it means to trust you and, and help us to, to know your goodness every step of the way. We pray this in your name. Amen.